0: Are
1: you really glad your mom died?
0: I am. I, I quit therapy initially when my first therapist had suggested that my mother was abusive. I couldn't tolerate that information. Uh, I was in no way ready to accept that reality. And it was several years before I was able to kind of recommit myself to therapy and really face the reality of, of my past and come to terms with it, including that I was glad that my mom died. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard, and calling into the show today, we have Jeanette McCurdy. Jeanette starred in Nickelodeon's hit show, iCarly, and its spin-off, spinoff, Salmon Cat, as well as in the Netflix series, Between. She hosts a podcast called Empty Inside and recently released the book, I'm Glad My Mom Died. Jeanette, welcome to the show. Thanks for
0: having me, Gabe. I'm excited to talk with you.
1: You know, I, I thought the title of my book, Mental Illness as an Asshole, was very arresting and clever. But then your book crossed my desk. And I, I just immediately realized upon seeing the title that there was just absolutely no way around it. The first question that I was going to ask and am going to ask is, are you really glad your mom died?
0: I am. I I was aware, of course, when I went with that title that it's attention grabbing and, and provocative. As intended. But also, it's something that I would never say flippantly. I mean it sincerely. And I think I earn it not only in the writing of the book, but in the life that I lived to get to that perspective. And also, I love the title of your book.
1: Thank you so much, Jeanette. I, I like the title of your book as well because it it just lays it out there. There's this quip that I like, and it's, oh, they said the quiet part out loud. And and when I saw the name of your book, I thought, wow, she is yelling the quiet part out loud. You're just not easing people into it. You're not bullshitting people. These are your feelings. Was that your point? They're just like, look, this is it. This is what's happened. This is who I am, and I'm not going to apologize for it.
0: Hundred percent. I think anybody uh, who has experienced abuse from a from a parent has this need to kind of protect and preserve the narrative of their parent being good, and that's I think largely because of society's judgment and the stigma around being honest with with the reality of what your upbringing was and and what your parent was like. But it's it was really important to me, not only for myself, but also for anybody else who's experienced parental abuse, to just say the truth. And not sugarcoat it. I think people deserve more more honesty.
1: Do you feel that this directness is helping people connect with your message? Or do you feel that it's so off-putting that that people won't read it? What's been your experience since the book came out? And of course, in talking to the public about it?
0: No, I've been so, so thrilled with the reception so far. And even people who come up to me whether that's online or even people who come up to me in person and have said, you know, I'm so excited to read your book or I've run into a few people who have, have read early copies and they've been so emphatic and, and supportive and understanding. And that was exactly my hope. And I think that the, the book that I've written is very nuanced and it's not black and white. There's, there's a lot of layers and a lot of complexity there. And, and I hope and think that people are and will continue to appreciate those aspects.
1: How long did it take you to realize, from the time that she died until you noticed that you felt better? There, there had to be a, a, a transitional phase. And I mean, again, I, I don't know how to word questions about when did you realize that you were glad that your mom died. But that's that's sort of my question. How long did it take from the time that she passed away until the time that you were like, huh, this isn't so bad?
0: It was years in therapy. I talk about it in the book better than I could ever talk about it off the cuff in a 20-second sort of response. But I quit therapy initially when my first therapist had suggested that my mother was abusive. I couldn't tolerate that information. Uh, I was in no way ready to accept that reality. And it was several years before I was able to kind of recommit myself to therapy and really face the reality of, of my past and come to terms with it, including that I was glad that my mom died.
1: I'm glad my mom died is is such a big statement. and and I just want you to know as we're sitting here, it, it's it's a nervous thing for me. Every time I ask you a question about your your mom and her death, there's there's like this pit in my stomach. It's like, dude, don't do that. Like, what's wrong with you? You're being rude. She's a nice person. I owe you condolences. I, I owe you a casserole. I owe you support. And there there's just this overarching, I I don't know, like the rules of society state whenever somebody dies, they immediately become good. We don't talk ill of the dead. And you tell everybody something wonderful about them. Is that messing with you in any way? And is that messing with people who interview you? Because just full disclosure, it's kind of messing with me.
0: Is what aspect is that is the is the belief or the narrative that romanticizing the dead is sort of a social standard messing with me? Is that what you're
1: asking? Yeah. I mean, you've definitely rejected it and and for that full praise, but it does that feel any way for you? Was it hard to reject it? Do the people around you, do they ever try to sit you down and say, hey, hey, no, 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 you've, you've got to say nice things only. What's it like for you and everybody around you pushing this societal norm just down a flight of stairs?
0: Frankly, I think it's important work. I think bringing to light the uncomfortable narrative point of view the uncomfortable topics that people don't talk about is work that needs to be done, and the reception from the people who either saw my one-person show or have read the book has been overwhelmingly positive. And aside from that, I have my my brothers and their support and their their understanding, and that's that's really very very important to me. Um, and then as for like the the narrative of romanticizing the dead, I just don't subscribe to that. I don't subscribe to the idea of Romanticizing anything, you know. I think it's important to take off the rose-colored glasses and and look at reality.
1: Was writing the book something that you did for yourself? Did you have intentions in the beginning of of selling it and make it public? Was it a a, a therapeutic thing that just ended up being published for all of us to read? What was the genesis of doing that? And I, I believe it started with your one-woman show and then just sort of turned into a book. But what was the idea behind all of that?
0: The one person show and the book are actually two separate projects. So it wasn't like I just took the one person show and wrote it and just like typed it out into book form or anything like that. The one person shows a musical and has a lot of interactive audience elements. And I, I hope to do it again at some point, it was quite rewarding to be able to do and, and experience the audience reactions in person and everything. The book covers quite a different, so the 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 meat of the book covers quite a different time in my life, which is my childhood and my upbringing as a, as a child actor and a, and a teen Star, if I can use that term. Um, I think you can use it. You
1: you, you, you were a teen star. You are a star. <laughs> uh,
0: I'm, uh, I'm losing the question here. <laughs> oh, oh, no! I remembered. I remembered. Okay, so the book was for me. Everything that I cover in the book was something that I privately. Worked on and privately unpacked and explored for seven years. In no way did I feel like, oh, I'm going to write this book about my life at any point during that work privately. And I think it was only through doing that work privately that I was able to get to the point where I thought, you know what? I think there's a way of crafting this into not just my life story, but more importantly, as I see it, a good book, um, which is what I think I ultimately did. And I'm proud of myself for the personal obstacles that I've overcome, but I'm also equally proud of myself for the good work that I've done in this book.
1: Did you have to sacrifice any relationships because of this? Was there anybody that said, look, I, I'm, I'm not going to stand by while you speak ill of your mother?
0: No, the people who are in my life by the point that I started writing a book, which was a year and a half ago, are, are my, my true friends and family. And those people I trust will be with me forever. Those relationships are really strong. I feel a lot of support from them
1: that's got to be such a weird juxtaposition for you. Because as I as I listen to you talk about your brothers and your friends and the people around you, I think, wow, this woman has an incredible support system. But you wrote a book called I'm Glad My Mom Died. And as we learned at the top of the podcast, you are glad your mom died. You've experienced so much trauma and manipulation from her. And of course, that's not supportive at all. These are such extreme things. They're they're polar opposites. Is this an issue for you?
0: No, let me, let me bring this. We've got a theme here, Gabe. We've got this theme of gratitude going on. Uh, I feel grateful for my past and the, the lack of support that I felt in it because it's helped me to really, really make sure and discern people in, in my relationships nowadays so that I feel like I will, there, there is no situation where I have somebody in my close circle who is not worthy of deep trust.
1: I imagine that the listeners want to know how, how did you do it? How did you get to this awesome place?
0: Well, so I think this goes back to, it goes back to boundaries and it goes back to therapy and self-discovery. And it goes back to the hypervigilance from my youth where how I was able to sort of channel it. And that is only through the boundaries and through the therapeutic work. So I think they're all kind of interrelated in this way. And also I appreciate you asking the deeper kind of question here, because I think it is easy for anything that's talked about in this kind of arena to be very memeified. So I think there's more to it than that. And for me, I don't know what anybody else's experience is like, of course, but for me it was really about doing the work in therapy, discovering what I actually want and need, understanding my values and then getting a grasp on on boundaries and how to implement those so that I could trust myself and in trusting myself, learn to trust others and also learn which others deserve
1: my trust. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media.
0: He does the show with me, Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist.
1: That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on
0: your favorite podcast player or visit PsychCentral.com slash IBP to
1: learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. Hey, everyone.
0: My name is Rachel Star Withers, and I live with schizophrenia. I'm also the host of Inside Schizophrenia, a podcast that dives deep into all things schizophrenia, featuring personal experiences and experts to help you better understand and navigate schizophrenia. Inside Schizophrenia is a Psych Central and Healthline Media podcast, and we're available right now on your favorite podcast player. Check us out.
1: And we're back speaking with actress Jeanette McCurdy, author of the book, I'm Glad My Mom Died. In reading your book, there there's many, many layers. It's very apparent that your mom was very manipulative and she was very abusive and she seemed to have a tendency towards gaslighting you. My question is, is if you had the power to, is there a single interaction with your mom that you would like to undo or change in any way?
0: I think everything that I went through only made me a stronger person and a more full person and a more empowered person. So ultimately, I am grateful for everything. I think that it led me to where I am now, and I'm able to express and explore everything that happened in a very creative way in a way that's fulfilling to me. I'm able to write. I'm able to direct. And I don't think I would be nearly as creatively expressive if these things didn't happen to me. So I'm glad that it put me on the path that I'm on now.
1: On one hand, jeanette, I, I I love that answer, and i I love that you're doing well. But also with with reading the book, there, I, I don't want to say that you were angry, but you were you were definitely hurt and and traumatized in it. It seemed to impact you in what I'm these are my words in a negative way. So to hear you talk about it now, you've got sort of a more balanced view. Is this been the result of, you know, experience, time, and therapy? When did you arrive at at sort of this more, you know, nuanced view where you're doing well and able to move forward in a healthy way?
0: I arrived here through years of internal work. And absolutely, you mentioned therapy, absolutely therapy. Thanks, Aaron and Jamie. Jamie was my eating disorder specializing therapist. And Aaron is my current therapist and has been my my regular therapist for a while. And I think where I'm at now is a result of all the work that I've done. And also, frankly, the the writing of this book, which was hugely healing for me and an instrumental aid in getting me to where I am now.
1: One of the themes in in the book with the relationship with your mom is that you really strived to appease her as a child. There was, there was a lot of, I want my mom to be happy. How did that impact your other relationships and how, how does it impact your life as an adult now?
0: I was a quintessential people pleaser. I think a lot of people who were child actors experience that. And you're not only tuned into what your stage current wants of you, but also to what your the producers of your shows want of you. And the everybody around you, whether it's a network or representation, you're, you're very sort of hypervigilant to those external forces. And I think that being so hypervigilant was anxiety-inducing and stressful for a while. But now I've been able to hone it in and understands the value to it, I think I'm a good director and I think that hypervigilance is what makes me one. I think I'm able to read the room, see what the crew needs, see what the cast needs, and, you know, hopefully help to facilitate those needs in as peaceful of a way as possible.
1: Many people can't get to that place. Many people who have been abused, hurt, manipulated, who grew up in similar situations to you they're having trouble moving on, they're struggling, they're not able to do so. Do you have any suggestions or maybe even just thoughtful advice for folks that are listening to this, and they're thinking how, how were you able to do that?
0: Absolutely, I appreciate that question. Boundaries are huge for me, I think implementing both personal boundaries and boundaries toward every relationship in my life, um, personally, professionally, understanding emotionally, physically environmentally and mentally what I need and understanding how to take care of those needs for myself has been hugely helpful. So I hope people consider boundaries in a deep way. And then also I think self-respect. I think regardless of what your past is, what your past has been, it has been that and you're now in the present and focus on yourself now and on moving forward and keep your head held high because you um, deserve dignity and respect you deserve to have dignity respect for
1: yourself. Let's talk about your your first acting audition. Now, this was driven by your mom, I, I believe that you always wanted to be a writer and a director, correct? Your, your goal was not to be an actress, you wanted to be behind the scenes. Am, am I am I stating that correctly? Yeah, yeah, you are. And, and then your your mom wanted you to be an actress, she wanted you to be in front of the camera. Can you walk us through what that was like? I mean, as, as much as you can remember,
0: my experiences with acting was that I was put into it when I was six years old. And I go into all this in the book in a much more interesting and well-written way. Well, well-articulated way, I should say. But my mom had wanted to be an actress her whole life and her parents wouldn't let her. So as I see it now, she, she saw kind of an opportunity to fulfill her dreams through me. I think that's more common than it should be. And so then I started acting when I was six years old. And I went on countless auditions and books and things and experienced a lot of of just a wide array of experiences but i you know what i did enjoy being good at acting i felt like i was good at it i got to a point where i felt like i was good at it and that was always an uplifting aspect of the career for me
1: i know that you mentioned that you were nervous about acting and i i I never think of of actresses and actors and creative people on your level as having even the ability to get nervous. What's that like in those moments? I don't think that regular people, the public, see that nervousness. How does that feel to you?
0: Huh. Interesting. I experienced a lot of performance anxiety as well as social anxiety, which does not mix well with being, you know, publicly recognized wherever you go, but I worked on all that, all that stuff and I actually worked specifically on performance anxiety when I was doing uh, when I was performing my one woman show. I'm glad my mom died, and I got to the point where, from the first show to the last show that I performed at it, I felt like a different person before going out onto that stage. I went from being you know so nervous my hands were shaking and just experiencing crippling self doubt to then the last performance where I'm listening to a 1975 song in my earbuds and bobbing my head five seconds before I go on stage and to have that sort of transformation felt really empowering. And I, and I felt like I had, like I had conquered that performance anxiety element. I guess we'll, we'll have to find out if I perform the show again I'll keep you posted.
1: One of the things that you said, Jeanette was stay hypervigilant. What does that look like for you?
0: Uh, I don't think I said stay hypervigilant. I mean, I said my, in my past that hypervigilance looks one way and now it looks very different. So in my past the, the hypervigilance was externally oriented and now I am vigilant to my own wants and needs and of course the wants and needs of those people around me that I love and would like to be happy and
1: fulfilled. Thank you. Thank you so much for clarifying that. How were you able to make that shift?
0: It is a dramatic shift. I feel it, I'm I'm feeling like I'm gonna come across like a broken record now, because it really was it really was through therapy and implementing boundaries
1: I, I think for for many people, I, I, I too love therapy. we We all love therapy, but when people listen to you know my show and they're like, Hey, Gabe, we could just go to therapy and stop listening to your podcast. I'm like, no, that's a really bad idea. Never ever stop listening to my podcast. I'll have to go back and get a real job. i i can't I can't do that.
0: So you want people you want me to point people to your podcast? You want me to say, you want me to say yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Everybody should listen to Gabe's podcast. Jeanette McCurdy said, so. no, but, but <laughs> so like, like what's a, what's an actionable item. So now everybody's in therapy and which is good. That's excellent. But, but what are some takeaways that they can have? I mean, you know, setting a boundary is a conclusion, right? You've set the boundary. How did you set the boundary?
0: It's by tuning inward. For me, tuning inward came from a lot of, I I really focused on solitude, specifically solitude in nature. So I would go to botanical gardens, I would take solo trips, I uninstalled all my social media apps on my phone. I really, really focused for several years on just tuning into my internal cues that I had really abandoned for quite some time.
1: There's a story in the book where you and your mother went out for ice cream and you were asked what flavor you wanted and you you picked the flavor that you actually wanted. But this bothered your mother. She believed that that's not the flavor that you wanted, that your favorite flavor was nutty coconut, a flavor that you no longer liked and did not want. But ultimately, to please your mother you ordered nutty coconut and you even took it a step further and that you were really effusive about it. You're like, mm, this is delicious. Yum. So that way that your mother would feel good about the decision that you made for the ice cream that you were eating. Your your mother was a, a strong influence in your life that that shaped even decisions about ice cream. Now, after your mother passed, this external force was, was no longer pushing down on you. There, there was nobody to change your decisions or to there was nobody that you had to appease anymore. So you had to find your own voice. Was it difficult to find your own voice? Was it difficult to make your own way? And how did you do it?
0: It happened through creativity for me. Of course, therapy was was a huge factor in sort of discovering myself. But creativity has been probably the leading force for me. I've written and directed five short films. I hope to direct again soon. I have several feature scripts that I've written recently. I'm working on a novel and a collection. of essays. <laughs> like all of these things to me, all of these forms of creative expression are ways of finding healing and catharsis and also making good work, which is very much at the top of my priorities. I do think creative expression is, is a really healthy outlet. And I think it's something that feels very movement-based like in terms of it being versus spinning your wheels or trying to focus solely on the past, I think it's a nice way of exploring a lot that's going on in your subconscious through whatever medium is most exciting to you.
1: I, I love creativity. And, and I think that everybody should do it. And I, and I don't mean on the, the the Hollywood level. I mean, go paint who, who cares if you're never going to sell it for a million dollars, right? Go act in local theater. Yeah. Do you think that there is this sort of, I, I want to say this we we just don't appreciate creative expression unless it pays millions of dollars. Can you talk to people about that? Because so often I'm like, hey, go join a community theater, you'll love it. And they're like, well, that's pointless. I'm never going to make it in Hollywood. And I'm like, who's who said anything about that? I just I want you to make it on the stage in Columbus, Ohio. Like that's where I wanted you to stop. <laughs> you
0: know, I think whether imposed by society or just by ourselves, I think pressure and expectations can really put a certain hue on creativity that doesn't need to be there. And I appreciate you mentioning that because I think there is value to creative expression, regardless of whether it's seen by a million people, a hundred people, or whether it's just done for yourself. I think there's something so pure about the experience of for me it's writing, but you know, for anybody who paints or sculpts or gardens, you know, there's there's so much value to that connectedness that can really only come, I think, from from creative expression.
1: Jeanette, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for pushing back on boundaries that have been in place for literal centuries. I I think that some of the reasons that we do things is it's just peer pressure from dead people, right? Well, don't speak ill of the dead. Well, that, this has been around for generations. Like, I don't know who came up with that, but I, I sincerely doubt that they're still around to enforce this rule. So thanks for changing the narrative, especially for people who desperately need the narrative changed for their own mental health. Thank you so much, Gabe. I appreciate it where can folks find you online? Do you have a website? Is it Jeanette by chance? Uh, It it is Jeanette McCurdy.com. You nailed it. Good guess. You know, it's, it's, it's a gift. It's not like I looked it up before. I just guessed. I I swear. Don't, don't read. Don't ask any follow-up questions. (laughs) (laughs) Jeanette, thank you so much. Well,
0: thank you, Gabe. Nice talking with you.
1: You are very welcome. And a big thank you to all of our listeners. My name is Gabe Howard, and I am the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations. I'm also an award-winning public speaker who could be available for your next event. My book is on Amazon because, well, everything is. Or you can grab a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me by heading over to GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. It is absolutely free. And do me a favor, recommend the show. Tell a friend, a family member, or a colleague, sharing the show is how we grow. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health.
0: You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening.